Exodus 20, verse 7. And while we only have one verse, we're going to see if I can preach for 30 minutes on this one verse. (laughs) So buckle up. Some of you look happy. Some of you look scared. So uh, we're looking at Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 7. And now in the first of the two tables of the law, the Lord tells Moses to tell Israel, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, I don't know about you, but I've always thought names are a funny thing. People get very worked up if you mispronounce their name. I remember in high school, I knew a number of Carolines and Carolines. And if I said Carolyn, I got a sharp, it's Caroline. And if I said Caroline, I got a sharp, it's Carolyn. And I just gave up. I quit trying to figure that one out. And then there were other times, I remember we would have a child born in the congregation I pastored in Savannah. And the parents, I've noted this to some of you, would give their son four names. He would be something like Charles, David, Joseph, Stevenson the fourth. And I'd say, oh, are you going to call him Charles? No, his name's going to be Jack. And I was like, but you gave him four names. Well, he needs a fifth one, and he's going to be Jack, and you better call him Jack. And, and names are meaningful. I remember when I was at 10th Presbyterian Church as an intern, one of the most impactful things that I watched uh, Phil Riken do was whenever he baptized a covenant child, he would take that child up and he would say that child's name. He actually baptized Elijah when we were in Philadelphia, and he would say... Elijah, as we baptize him in the name of the triune God, our prayer is that he will live up to his namesake. Elijah means my God is Yah, that he will be a man that all his days makes that great declaration that my God is Yahweh, that he will be a faithful witness to the covenant God by whom he is named. And as we go through the scriptures, we notice the significance of names. God changes Abram's name to Abraham when he gives him The covenant promises that he's going to be a father to many nations. And the Lord Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter when he says that he is going to be one of the foundational stones of the new covenant. And so everywhere in scripture and even in our experience today, names are exceedingly significant. And one of the simple explanations why names are so significant for us on the human sphere is because God's name is absolutely significant and bound up in who he is. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when we come to the third commandment, we are back again focused on the God who is giving his law and his will to the covenant people. He has redeemed them out of Egypt. He has called them to himself. He is not giving them his commandments so that they're going to try to work for salvation. He has said, remember, Notice all the way back in verse 1, he uses that covenant name Yahweh. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then it's very interesting. In the second, third, fourth, and fifth commandments, the Lord reiterates that he is the Lord your God. Notice in The third commandment here, you shall not take the name of the Lord, 
your God in vain. Notice uh, verse 9 on the Sabbath command. The seventh day, verse 10, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Notice verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You see, the Lord is embedding the, the, the law that he's giving Israel here at Sinai. He is embedding it in the context of his covenant revelation, in his covenant promises to be a God to his people, and he is rooting it in his works of redemption. Now, before we look at this in detail, I just want to point out tonight that while the first commandment told us who we are to worship, that we're not to have any gods beside God. And the second commandment told us how we are to worship him, that we're not to make for ourselves any likeness of anything in heaven above or earth beneath or the waters under the earth. We're not to bow down to them and worship them. We're to worship Yahweh the way he wants to be worshipped. We are back now in the third commandment with who we are to worship. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Well, I want us to consider four things this evening as we look at this. First, I want us to consider the rationale for this commandment. And then I want us to consider the positive requirement. Then I want us to consider the negative prohibition. And finally, I want us to consider the threat annexed, the rationale, the positive the negative, and the threat. Well, notice, as I've already said here, and you see this throughout the scriptures, that the name of God is bound up with his nature and his being. One of the different things from the human experience where we give names to our children, where we decide, we plan, we take long times thinking through what names we like, what names are fitting, perhaps what names we've had in our family, Perhaps who we're going to honor by using what name we give our children. Maybe it's a certain hero in human history or church history that we name them after. Maybe it's someone in scripture that we've given them that name, but we are doing the work of naming. One of the different things with God is that God doesn't have anyone name him. He names himself from all eternity. God reveals his name to his people because his name is bound up in his nature and his being. His name stands as the attributes that he reveals. His name and his attributes are inseparable. Um, maybe you've seen some of those posters where um, uh, some company has gone through the scriptures and has taken all the names of God and put them in sequential order. All of the different Jehovah Jireh, um, Adonai, El Shaddai, all of the names by which God reveals himself. And, and none of those names are, are just coincidental. None of those names are insignificant. Every one of the names by which God reveals himself carries with it something of his attributes, something of his nature, something of his being. Um, El Shaddai, for instance, is God Almighty. He is the Almighty God. Um, Yahweh, which we're going to see here in a special focused way in the Ten Commandments, that covenant name that God revealed himself to Moses. Remember when Moses was at the burning bush, when God called him at the beginning of this book in chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Remember, uh, Moses goes to God and said, if I come to the people of Israel and say, the God of your fathers came to me 
And they ask me, what is his name? What should I say to them? And the Lord says to Moses, tell them, I am who I am. I was who I was. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I am the everlasting God. I am the uncreated God. I am the God who doesn't change. The God who is sufficient in himself. And so the Lord says to Moses, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Say to this people, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And then toward the end of this book, in Exodus chapter 34, remember when Moses is up on the mountain and he says to God, show me your glory. And the Lord says, you cannot see my face, but I will hide you in the cleft of the rock and I will cause my hinder parts to pass behind me and you will hear the name of the Lord. And when he passed by Moses, hidden in the cleft of the rock, the Lord declared there to Moses and and Moses, remember, said, show me your glory. What does God do to show him his glory? He makes his name known and he says to him, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious. You see, he he affixes his attributes to his name, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What is the name of God? It is a manifestation and a revelation of who he is. That's why this commandment is so important. Um, You'll remember that when Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer in the Gospels to his disciples, he, he starts it off by saying, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the first thing that Jesus says we ought to be concerned with. That God's name be hallowed, that it be set apart, that it be revered, that he be acknowledged for who he is. Listen to this, John Calvin. He says this, speaking about the rationale for this commandment. Calvin says, God wills that we hallow the majesty of his name. Therefore, it means in brief that we are not to profane his name by treating it contemptuously and irreverently. Calvin says, we ought to be so disposed in mind and speech that we neither think nor say anything concerning God and his mysteries without reverence and much soberness, that in estimating his works, we conceive nothing but what is honorable to him. I thought that was a very apropos way of explaining the rationale. God is interested in his name being honored. God is interested in his attributes being exalted God is interested in his glory being known. And and how he does that is through his redeemed image bearers, honoring him and hallowing his name, even when the world around us dishonors and despises and uses his name profanely and in vain. Now, before we look at the positive requirement, I do want to note that The most uh, appropriate translation of this commandment, if you were to give a wooden translation to the Hebrew, would be something like this. You shall not take you shall not lift up.
the name of the Lord your God to nothingness. You shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God to nothingness. Um, Now, I want us to consider that positive requirement. Um, Westminster Confession of Faith, when it, it deals with this in the larger catechism, sorry, the Westminster Larger Catechism, it says this. It says the third commandment requires that the name of God, his titles, attributes, ordinances, word, sacraments, prayer, oaths, vows, lots, works, and whatever else there is, whereby he makes himself known, be holily and reverently used in thought, meditation, word, and writing by a holy profession and answerable conversation to the glory of God and the good of ourselves and others. Now, that's a mouthful. But what I want to say is that anything related to God, his revelation, his worship, the service of him, or anything else related to him is to be spoken of. He is to be spoken of in regard to all those things with a disposition of the heart that is acknowledging his holiness and is showing him proper reverence. That's what this command is requiring of us. Now, if you were anything like me when you were a little child, you thought the only thing this command was saying was, don't use God's name as a curse word. This commandment is so much deeper than that. It certainly includes that, but it is far deeper than that. And we're going to see that here tonight. Now, what is the positive requirement? The positive requirement is that whenever we take up God's name on our lips, whenever we represent him, whenever we speak of anything in relationship to him, whenever we take vows and invoke his name, that in whatever we do, we are to do it with absolute reverence and acknowledgement of who he is and truthfulness and a fair representation of who he is. That's the positive requirement of this command. That I dare not say anything about God or his word or his works. I dare not invoke his name unless I am going to do it with reverence and truthfulness. That's, that is what the Lord deserves. You know, think about it. If people get upset, if you misuse their name, how much more the infinitely perfect God. I was thinking about this, and I have on a few occasions in my life, whether by just absolute falsehood or by being lost in translation, had people say to other people, you know, Nick told me this would be okay for you to do. No, I never said that. Total misrepresentation of my name, and something visceral just wells up inside me when people do that. Far from telling you it would be okay for you to do this, I actually never said that. Please don't invoke my name. Now, if I get upset when someone falsely invokes my name, how much more should the Lord, who is infinitely holy, just, pure, true, and right, be offended when his name, his attributes, his word, his works are not held in absolute reverence, esteem, and truthfulness? Um, You know, uh, Phil Reichen points out that one of the best places to learn a proper use of God's name is in the Psalms. Maybe your mind has already gone there. There's almost no place where 
the name of the Lord is so exalted as it is throughout the Psalms. And Riken says many of the biblical Psalms show us how we are to honor God's name. For instance, Psalm 29, 2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Psalm 96, 8, again, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Psalm 66, 2, sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Psalm 72, 19, praise be to his glorious name forever. Psalm 103, 1, praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Elsewhere, Riken says, the Bible instructs us to call on the name of the Lord, Genesis 4.26, to prophesy in the name of the Lord, Deuteronomy 18.19, to trust in the name of the Lord, Isaiah 50.10, and in every way to revere this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, Deuteronomy 28.58. And so there are these positive examples strewn throughout the scriptures of how we are to reverence And how we are to honor the name of the Lord. You know, when salvation is spoken of in Isaiah, um, the Lord says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, Now, it is a calling on him from the heart, isn't it? It's not just a sort of magical mantra. God doesn't want us to just flippantly take his name up. He wants us to have a heart that is reverently bowed in worship before him when we speak of him. This is where it ought to get pretty cutting for us. How often we glibly take his name up on our lips. Um, uh, How do I know that I'm right about that? Remember when Jesus is disputing with the Pharisees in Matthew 15, he says to them, Um, You know, you, by your love of money, basically lay aside the commandments of God when you say whatever gift would be given to my parents is Corbin. And then you lay aside the command to honor your father and mother. And Jesus says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And in vain do they worship me. So Jesus very clearly says that if our hearts are not engaged In worshiping him, when we are glibly speaking about him, we are not giving him that proactive honor that is due to him. Um, I want us to consider, though, in a little more focused way, we've touched on this. I want us to consider the negative prohibition, the sins that are forbidden in this commandment. Um, There are more than this, but I'm going to give you five very brief categories by which we violate this commandment and we profane the name of the Lord. The first commandment, the first way is when we use his name profanely. Any way in which we invoke the name of the Lord in swearing, in frustrations and discontentment, um, you don't need me to flesh this out for you. Almost nothing grates at me more than when I hear someone take Jesus' name in vain. Because that's the only name by which we and our loved ones and the world will be saved. Um, And so God is forbidding in this commandment any profane use of his name, any cursing in which we are demeaning him, in which we are essentially blaming him for the things that go wrong for us. That would be a profane use of God's name. 
But beyond that, and we've touched on this already, there is the hypocritical use of God's name. Uh, Jesus, I said already in Matthew 15, said, uh, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and in vain do they worship me. Paul says in Titus, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being an abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. When, when we take up God's name hypocritically, and our hearts are not loving him and worshiping him in sincerity, we are violating this commandment. Now, you may think you don't do that. Every one of us does that. Every one of us has taken up God's name hypocritically. Um, Jesus says that on the last day, many will say to him, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name and that in your name? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Many take up the name of the Lord hypocritically. Even we who are believers do that from time to time. Uh, There's this example of a hypocritical use of God's name when Saul is trying to destroy David and he is going to the priest in Nob and he's trying to find out where David is and some men come, some wicked and ruthless men tell him where David is with his men and Saul says to them, the Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. Now what's in Saul's heart is destroying God's anointed, David. And so when Saul says, the Lord bless you for handing him over to me, Saul is invoking God's name in the most hypocritical way. Um, He is not blessing God. He is not in sincerity loving God. We also see this, don't we, in Paul's condemnation of the Jews in his day in Romans chapter 2 when he said, you are a Jew, you have the law of God, you say you shall not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You're a teacher of the law. You you say, you shall not steal. Do you rob temples? Um, You see, whenever we act hypocritically, we're taking God's name in vain. A third category of violating this commandment by negative, um, by negation, is to use God's name tritely. This is probably the most convicting for me personally. We may... We may speak rightly about the Lord. We may incorporate his name into our conversations. We may do so sincerely, but we may do so tritely or glibly. Um, There is a satirical site online that you probably read. It's, It's a very funny Christian site. But every now and then there are articles that they post on there where they say things about God in a jesting way, and I think this is a violation of the third commandment, and we ought not be laughing about this. When they say things like, megachurch's smoke machine is so thick the Holy Spirit can't break through, that's a violation of the third commandment. That's wrong, because that's a trite way of speaking about God. It's misrepresenting him. It's not honoring who he is. And it's speaking glibly or tritely about the living God. You know, when the Lord reveals himself in scripture, he tells us that he's a consuming fire. That he is of purer eyes than to look upon evil. 
Um, there, there is a weight to God's name. In, in fact, God's name is his glory. And the word glory in Hebrew, kavod, means weightiness. It's, it's a measurement of his greatness. And there is nothing trite or glib about the eternal God. There is only majesty and glory and splendor and holiness and perfection about him. Um, I think also, and this is also convicting, fourthly, any, any falsehood. We've considered taking up his name profanely, hypocritically, tritely, and now falsely. Now, we sometimes think of falsehood only as false teaching, and that certainly would be included in this. Remember in the Old Testament when the prophets, the God was speaking through when they made his word known, they would oftentimes prefix their prophecies by saying, thus says Yahweh, thus says the Lord. And then the Lord would speak through his prophets. And whenever false prophets spoke, they invoked the name of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. And God is always bringing an indictment against false prophets for invoking his name to propagate falsehood. Because that misrepresents God. And that says that the God who is himself true and truth is somehow not true and not truth. That there is some kind of falseness in him. Now, this goes beyond that. And this is where we need to be very sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Anytime that we misrepresent something that God has said in his word even when we're well-meaning, is taking his name in vain. When we misrepresent something in God's word, even as true believers, even when our intention is not to propagate falsehood, we are taking his name in vain. Uh, The Westminster Confession, the larger catechism, I'm sorry, again, says this, listen to this, that... What is forbidden in the third commandment, listen to this, misinterpreting, misapplying, or any way perverting the word of God or any part of it. This is why I think James, in James 3.1 says, let not many of you become teachers knowing that uh, we who teach are going to be judged more strictly. Um. There ought to be a a seriousness when we represent what Scripture says because we are representing the name of God when we represent his word. He has exalted his word above his name. Um, And so while we can um, violate this commandment by profanely using his name, hypocritically, tritely, falsely, I would say finally superstitiously, there are multitudes of people that use God's name superstitiously. They think the name of Jesus is sort of a lucky charm. Um, They go around and pronounce his name over people as if it gives them some kind of power over people. Um, When when the Roman Catholic Church, with all of its superstitions, ties that to God's name, that is a violation of this commandment. Any superstition, anything that's 
invoking God's name superstitiously is a violation of this commandment. Now, I have probably only scratched the surface of the positive and the negative aspects of this commandment. I want us to consider, fourthly and finally, the threat. Notice that the Lord says uh, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, this is sort of the understatement of human history. He doesn't tell us what he's actually going to do. He just says the Lord will not hold him guiltless if you take his name in vain. Now, this is a sort of literary device. The way uh, someone might say to, to someone else, you know, I wouldn't do that if I were you. They're not actually telling them what's going to happen, but you know that it's not going to turn out well if they do this. I wouldn't do that if I were you. The Lord is saying there is very serious punitive judgment attached to taking God's name in vain. We see that throughout the Mosaic Covenant. Anytime someone blasphemed, anytime someone practiced false teaching, anytime somebody practiced sorcery and invoked God's name, the death penalty was affixed to that. That's how serious God is about this. Um, By the way, when we look at the law of God and we think about what we consider to be sin, we have way too low a view of sin because God's commandments are so much deeper and so much all-encompassing and so much stricter, so much stricter. You know, a command like this with that warning attached to it ought to be a great incentive to us to keep a careful watch over our mouths. Um, we ought to be very slow to say the things that we often say. We ought to be very slow, especially to take God's name up on our lips if our hearts are not engaged. Now, um, Westminster divines say this. They say, that the reasons annexed to the third commandment is that the Lord will not hold him guiltless. They say, he is the Lord our God, therefore his name is not to be profaned or any way abused by us, especially because he will be so far from acquitting and sparing the transgressors of this commandment, he will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment, albeit many such escape the censures and punishments of men. Now, if you are anything like me, You read this commandment, you read the rest of the scriptures about the name of the Lord, and you are deeply convicted that you have not honored and reverenced his name as you ought, and that ought to drive us to the foot of the cross. You know, there is only one person who has ever honored, respected, and spoken truthfully about the living God, and that is God in the flesh in Christ. He is the only one. Um, Remember when he is going to the cross in John 17, he prays to his father and he says, Father, glorify your name that your son may be glorified. He says elsewhere in John, I have made your name known 
to those you have given me. That, that everything Jesus did, he did for the glory of the name of God. Every single thing Jesus ever thought, did, said, every single utterance, every emotion was fully captivated by desire for him to bring glory to the name of God. Um, and when he hung on the cross, the Lord Jesus suffered under the wrath of God because of our violations of this commandment. The Lord did not hold him guiltless because of our violations of this commandment. Um, I often think of that, often think of that line in that hymn, ye, ye who think of sin but lightly here at the cross may estimate the greatness, the rightness of what it deserves. Um, you know, it's interesting, and we're going to sing here tonight in a moment, this really beautiful old hymn called There Is No Name So Sweet on Earth. And in one of the lines in that hymn, the hymn writer notes that the, the, there's great significance in the fact that God had the name of Jesus placarded on the cross when he died for his people. Think about that. When he was nailed to the tree, the name that is above every name was placarded on their cross. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And when the Apostle Paul tells us as believers in the New Covenant that um, how our words and our speech ought to be ordered, he will say in Colossians, whatever we do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, when he talks about what it's going to be like the moment that Jesus comes and wraps all of this up, he says, that he has been highly exalted and he has been given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, all of the weight of God's name, all that is due unto God's name, is due unto the Lord Jesus. You know, there is... There is perhaps no greater verse that summarizes why we should reverence the name of the Lord and especially the name of the Lord Jesus than Matthew 121. When that angel comes to Mary, he says to her, his name shall be called Jesus, Jehovah saves, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, his name is bound up with the work of redemption. And the beautiful thing for us is, no matter how many times we have erred, no matter how many times we have failed to honor God's name as we ought, no matter how many times we have violated this commandment, if we are trusting in Christ, the desire of our heart is to see his name exalted because we know what he's done for us. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I want to exhort us and encourage us as we think about this commandment that we would that we would resolve in our minds and in our hearts that we would be very slow to take up the Lord's name or to speak about him, his word, his works or anything else with any kind of 
impulsivity or carelessness, triteness, hypocrisy, any kind of profanity, any kind of superstition, that we would be very, very, very slow to take up his name in any way that would not bring him honor and glory. Um, I hope that you'll be encouraged tonight as you meditate on the name of our God and the name of our Savior, that you would be eager to honor his name, to hallow his name, to sing praises to his name, to call on his name, to trust in his name. That's what the Lord wants from us. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we acknowledge that there have been many times that we have taken up your name or the name of your Son, many times that we have spoken about you or about the things that you have revealed in your word or that you have done. There have been many times, Lord, that we have invoked your name and our hearts have not been engaged. We have not done so with worshipful and reverent hearts. We have not done so with hearts fully engaged in seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness. We have not done so out of a desire to hallow your name. We thank you and praise you that you have given us the Lord Jesus, that you have that you have sacrificed him in our place because of the many times that we have dishonored your name and taken it up in vain. We pray, our God, that you would forgive us. We pray that you would give us a great commitment to do all that we do with an eye to your glory and to the honor of your name. And so, Lord, would you help us have mercy on us? Fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and cause us to be a people who rejoice in and reverence the name of the Lord our God, our creator and redeemer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.